I, I marvel that uh, Thanksgiving would be such a, a, a popular holiday uh, among non-religious people because it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, you know, we think back to the first Thanksgiving and, and we're reminded to do that by, by uh, children's craft projects of pilgrims gathered around a table because uh, an outcome was, was different than what it could have been. And when we receive things um, and we respond with, with thanksgiving, that, that can't be empty. Um, sometimes Leanne and I share the cooking responsibilities because I enjoy cooking. I enjoy eating and therefore I enjoy cooking uh, to make sure that I, I eat. <laughs> uh, but, but then I, I find myself tripping over my own... Um, my own feelings when the mealtime comes, pray and give thanks to the Lord from whom all things come, and then uh, take a bite. It's like, oh, this tastes good, and I want to say thanks because I enjoyed the meal, but then I'm reminded it's like if I cooked, I'm not going to say thanks to myself. <laughs> so I want to I thank Leanne for the good meal, even if she didn't cook it, because it's just like when goodness is received, there's a natural response in us to respond, response, respond, to say, oh, this isn't just from me. Um, and so as we think about Thanksgiving this week, and again, that should be all weeks, I mean, uh, texts that we're not necessarily going to look at, but a reminder, Paul says, I might touch this a little bit later, Paul writes to the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances. Other places, he says, you know, in everything, uh, give thanks. That might just be a different translation of the same thing. But what does biblical thanksgiving look like? And to ask it, to answer that question, I kind of thought of a simple path to follow to just take one fairly prolific New Testament author, the Apostle Paul, and ask questions of him or from him in his writing uh, about thanksgiving. So asking this, how did Paul, a fellow believer and an apostle, and an author writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how did Paul give thanks? Uh, what can we learn from him about giving thanks? So as we go into this season where uh, hopefully we're not just thinking about shopping, uh, and we're not just thinking about eating, uh, but we're actually thinking about giving thanks, that we would ask, uh, who was Paul thankful to? And what was Paul thankful for? And why was this Paul's pattern of thanksgiving? Giving thanks to, and obviously the answer is God. Uh, giving thanks to God for what he gave thanks to. Why is that the case? And then what can we learn about that? As to to whom, if you are insistent on uh, that particular proper form of, of grammar, which I'm not. Uh, so if you don't like dangling prepositions, you're going to be very disappointed with some of my points. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Uh, so who was Paul thankful to? And what was Paul thankful for so that we would say, who should we be thankful to this week? And so even, like I mentioned earlier, even tonight, as we come back together to gather, to say thanks and to share blessings and gratitude, uh, who are we thankful to? And then if you're like, you know, as I think back over the year, I think through those different things, um, maybe it wasn't a great year. So, you know, what, what should I be thankful for? Or maybe there were some good things, but then, then shadows have kind of fallen over your life over the last uh, 24 hours or week or month, six months, year, five years, 10 years, you know, I'm struggling with Thanksgiving because of these, all these shadows kind of overclouding, darkening aspects of my life. What should I give thanks for? 
and asking Paul, not just as a believer, an apostle, an inspired writer, but as, but as a sufferer, as Paul did not lead a, a blessed, prosperous, a physically blessed, prosperous life in his ministry, uh, what was he thankful for? Because it was not hard to find passages in which he expresses thanks in his letters. It's actually a common theme. I think probably in every single one of the letters that he writes, he's giving thanks for something. So who's Paul thankful to? What was Paul thankful for? Why was this Paul's pattern of thanksgiving? And hopefully that can be something that we learn from as well for our own thanksgiving for uh, today, for this week, and for our lives. Uh, so first, there's that, that as I mentioned, uh, thankfulness isn't something that's pointed inward. That would be fairly ang- arrogant, um, profoundly self-centered for you to first, with thanksgiving, think about thanking yourself for things. So uh, who was Paul thankful to? It certainly wasn't himself, but thankfulness must be offered to someone else. That's what thankfulness is. It's not, it's, it's you know what, whatever this circumstance is, this isn't self-originating, right? It's, it's been, it's come to me. And that's what thankfulness is, responding to that person for what came from them. So, so uh, Keith gives me a gift. I don't thank Robbie, right? I would thank Keith, right? Directing back to the person and recognizing you're the source of this good. So I, I respond in gratitude, gratefulness, is acknowledging, you know, this good isn't from me. It isn't from somebody else. It's, it's particularly from you. Who is Paul? thankful to, as thankfulness must be offered to someone. And when Paul gives thanks in his letters, it is almost universally directed toward God. I think one other time, uh, he, he encourages thankfulness toward fellow servants. He's, he's thankful to them, but he's also thankful for them. And he's not thankful for them to them. He's thankful to God for them, even as he gives thanks to them. Uh, specifically, he addresses his thanksgiving to the Father, to whom uh, we direct our prayers, and he also gives thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord. A number of passages. Uh, feel free to jot down references if you'd like, or a simple concordance, or I could send this to you as we're going to move through pretty quickly. Romans chapter 1, because a lot of times these are at the very outset of his letters. He, he writes to the Romans, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and he goes on for what he's thankful for. Later, he encourages believers in the, the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 20. He says that uh, as they are filled with the Spirit, singing together, they are also to be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have you know, two examples of the same thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then in 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, as I mentioned, there's a, it's a survey of a number of different passages for this. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve. There's a relationship aspect of there. He recognizes not, he's not giving thanks to an equal He's giving thanks to one that he is subservient to. I am serving him. And he also says, as did my ancestors, God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And so Paul is recognizing, you know, he's not the only one who has reason to give thanks to God. And he's serving God as those who went before him. And so even in his heritage, he's recognizing a spiritual and physical heritage. He's recognizing, you know, I'm joining in a chorus of thanksgiving to God 
for what he has given me. Um, Like I mentioned, when thanksgiving in Scripture is there, so as we think about thankfulness, our thankfulness should be directed likewise to God, not just to other people, not looking for other reasons. And so then I would submit that, you know, an atheist really can't ultimately give thanks because there's this, there's this longing, I believe, that God has planted in our hearts to recognize that what we have, we've received. That's, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in later points. But that that points us back not just to, to Keith that having given, not just to Leanne for having given me something, but really it's just like, well, they wouldn't be in my life. They wouldn't have the ability to do what they did if not for the one who is in control of all things. So ultimately, all thanksgiving must be pointed to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was Paul thankful for? His thankfulness must be offered for something. If you were to say, hey, how are you doing? I'm thankful. What would be really a natural question? Thankful for what? (laughs) It can't really stand on its own. You could just, I guess, generally be happy. Normally, there would be reasons. You could generally be sad. But I think thankfulness sort of begs the question as to what are you thankful for? For And, you know, even as you sit around your table, whatever your tradition is for Thanksgiving, probably what are you thankful for? And you can't just do the the kid answer just, you know, because. And then as a typical parent response, it's like because isn't an answer, it's the beginning of an answer, right? (laughs) I'm just thankful. Thankful for what? Just thankful for everything. It's like, well, it's good, but it's like, let's push into some specifics. And kids just, you know, those conversations are going to happen this week. Somebody's going to ask you what you're thankful for. And you need something more specific than just everything. Okay, that's, we gotta, gotta get a little bit more pointed. What was Paul thankful for? Hopefully that can guide us in our thanksgiving. First, Paul was thankful for salvation. Paul was thankful for salvation and he wrote about it constantly. He wrote to the Thessalonians again in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but, but we ought always... To give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so I see in this when it's talking about God choosing them as first fruits, obviously talking about God's choice of those who would be saved, including the believers in this city of Thessalonica. And so Paul recognizes that it's not because of his preaching that they were saved. It's not because of his own good sense that he was saved. But thanks is given to God for salvation because the whole plan of salvation, including those whom would be saved, all originates with God. And so as we think about salvation in its, in its origin, in its source, and in, in who it flows to, God is the one to receive thanks for that. And it's always interesting, even those that would, that would disagree with us strongly about, about election and about aspects of that and, and, and how faith exactly works and how the, what level of responsibility it is. There is full responsibility that we have for receiving the gospel, yet in our spiritual deadness, we cannot receive until the Spirit acts on us. Those would say, no, 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 that's not how that works. Yet when we would ask them, so who... Do you give thanks to for your salvation? You, your, your preacher, or God? I know of no Christian that would say, say, yeah, me. I'm thankful to me for my salvation. 
right? Because I think the spirit working in us recognizes we do not claim credit for that. So when we follow the word, we recognize as Paul did, we, we ought always to give thanks that God has chosen us for salvation, that there is a plan of salvation and that God in his grace, not by works, by grace has allowed us to be a part of that. And 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Colossians chapter 1, at the beginning of this letter, he extends his thanks for salvation as well. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so there we don't just see that source of salvation, but we see actually uh, the, the category shift that it is, right? The allegiance and the destination change that happens in salvation, that you were part of a kingdom. You were under a ruler, Described here as this domain of darkness in which we were slaves to sin, right? Children of wrath, as he says to the Ephesians. And he took you out of that and transferred you, you know, picked you up and moved you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So you, you aren't who you were. Uh, you, your allegiance is not where it was, and your, your destination is not what it used to be. You are now, you've been made new. You have a new identity, have a new king, have a new fate. Paul gives thanks for these things. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 to 57, wonderful chapter. Paul writes on the gospel and the importance of the resurrection. And he draws all these things together after talking about the, the new bodies that we will have, now the spiritual resurrection, uh, not merely spiritual, but I'm not preaching 1 Corinthians 15 right now. He says this, the sting of death is sin. The reason, the reason that death is scary is because of sin and the penalty for sin that awaits after death. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law revealing our sinfulness. If it says don't covet, you didn't care about coveting until you heard you're not allowed to do it. And then your flesh was like coveting. What's that? I want to do that. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just before this, he talked about the fact Jesus conquered sin. Jesus has conquered death. He's put death to death. He has crushed that. Where is the sting? It's been removed, but not just removed. It was born by Christ on the cross. And so that ultimate destination again and the, uh, the fate that we awaited and the fear that we would have is not something that we still have to deal with because of God, because of Christ. So we give thanks for this. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, he writes of thanksgiving as well. This is such a neat passage, such a vivid picture. He says this, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, 
to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Uh, this is a picture of a conquering Roman general, uh, the, the victor who comes back to Rome, and there's, it was, he didn't just sort of sneak back in. Right? Messengers were sent ahead of time so that the whole city would come and they would line up to watch the general come in in all pomp and circumstance to the glory of, of him and the glory of the emperor and the glory of Rome. And as part of this procession were all of the people that had survived yet been conquered. So you lost, you were taken slaved taken slaves by the general, by the army for the sake of Rome, and you were part of the procession marching through, displaying the glory of the general who had defeated you. And the, the fragrance talking about that, right? It's, this, wasn't, this was a sensory overload type of thing. It wasn't just like, let's enter quietly and humbly. No, it's like, let's bang cymbals and drums. Let's shout and sing. Let's, let's offer incense. Let's carry fragrant things so you can hear him and you can see him and you can smell him. And, you know, soldiers probably didn't smell great. So let's cover that smell with something good. And so these slaves, these conquered ones would be coming in ahead of that general, offering these different smells, part of the procession to show the glory of the one who had conquered them. And we are the conquered ones. We were slaves of that other kingdom. Now we've been transferred to part of his kingdom. For us, it's not a humiliating thing. It's a glorious thing. Recognizing who we were as God's enemies. Now, uh, once your enemy, now seated at your table. And so, it, so you, you know, the, the, the image starts to fall apart, right? Because it's not just conquered and slaved and made low. It's actually at that triumph feast that could happen at the end of that. Uh, we're participants in that. We're, we're brought into the family, right? That starts to mix metaphors. But here, you know, it's a reminder to others who have, been con- who have not yet been conquered or don't recognize they're conquering. That's the fragrance of death. We who have been delivered from the punishment that our sins deserve, that's a reminder of the punishment that their sins deserve if they have not been forgiven. But for those who have been forgiven, believers are a fragrance from life to life that you see somebody who's been forgiven and you think about their forgiveness, it should joyfully remind you of your forgiveness. Not your condemnation, but of your forgiveness. That's what our lives are supposed to be. But we are led in triumphal procession, waiting for the king to enter the city at his return. We are preceding that uh, for his Glory. And so Paul uses a lot of different images like this to talk about salvation, sometimes generally. And he, he makes it pointed as well. He's not only thankful for his own salvation or salvation generally, but he's very specifically thankful for the salvation of the believers that he is writing to, the believers in these churches. And so to continue where we started in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Not just thankful for salvation, but as he thinks about individual believers and groups of believers gathered in churches, he's thankful that that same salvation, election and eternity past, transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Those who are being led in triumphal procession to the glory of the king, the general, the conqueror, kind of like, yes, this isn't just about me. This is about you and you and you it's about these, these churches, and he's thankful for their faith in Christ, faith that is being proclaimed in all the world. He goes on in, in chapter 6 of the same passage, 
Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. I'm thankful for the change that Jesus has wrought in you by your salvation. In Ephesians 1, verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And this faith came about through the work of the Holy Spirit, powerfully working through Paul's preaching. Not just Paul, but all those that would accompany Paul as well. And he spells this out for the Thessalonians. Where did this faith come from? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the faith that you have is a gift from God, came through obedience given to the word, a word which you wouldn't have listened to, but you did because you've been made new. And so as we think about what to be thankful for, we're, we're in a room surrounded with people that have been made new, who listen to the word that they wouldn't have listened to otherwise, have submitted their lives to those things. That should, I, I trust, if you're a believer, that, that is true of you. If it's not true of you, I don't know, I have no response to the word. You're not a believer, right? Uh, it's like, oh, well, just it's really good because Peter said it. It's like, please never, that can never be the reason. Right? It's the word of God or it's not worth listening to. That's true of every preacher. Paul would have said the same thing himself. You know, it doesn't matter how eloquent I am. If I'm preaching something other than the biblical gospel, I don't deserve to be exalted. I deserve to be condemned. But when we hear the word and we receive the word as the word, it takes root in our heart. It produces fruit. We see that in ourselves. We see that in other people. We should give thanks for that. So if you were wondering, you know, what exactly should I be thankful for? Starts off with your salvation, salvation of your family members, friends, neighbors, especially right here in this body, and then others that we hear about as well. So we start with our salvation, the salvation of our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we know them or whether we don't know them personally. We hear about that, we can give thanks. But just as God's work in, in us does not end with our salvation, so our thanksgiving to God should not end with our salvation. We can also give thanks our salvation and also for our sanctification. We give thanks for our sanctification. And a long, a little bit of a longer passage that we find that discusses this is Romans chapter seven. There's debate whether who exactly Paul is speaking as. Uh, but I feel the same struggle in my own soul. I think Paul is talking as a believer, wrestling uh, with his. Is new nature, what that in him which longs to walk by the Spirit, and that which in him which still is remaining of the sinful nature and that struggle that he has internally. And he brings that together in summary like this. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then the spiritual schizophrenia that he experiences on a daily basis, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Despite the endless, often frustrating battle against indwelling sin that we face every day, we can still give thanks to God for the battle and for the coming victory is found in Christ Jesus. I know I've spoken of this before, but just to remind you, as you face that endless, often frustrating battle against indwelling sin, that battle should not be a source of discouragement to you. A lack of battle should be discouraging to you. The presence of that spiritual schizophrenia, I want this and I want this. What? Right? There wouldn't be the spirit drawing you toward holiness with, against the flesh if you weren't in the spirit, if you weren't in Christ. Right? And so if you think, no, 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 I'm just going to live here, only be in the spirit, I'll have no residue of the sinful flesh. Right? Just real quick, you just take two fingers, you go like this, and if you feel a thumping, it means you're still alive, which means that that battle is going to be ongoing right? There's no glorification prior to Christ's return and he hasn't come back yet. So we live in the battle, but it's a battle only because the spirit is at work in us and we give thanks for the battle and that the victory is going to come and it's not dependent on you. And then speaking of sanctification, Paul writes, to Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians 1, lots of ones, and to Philemon. He's thankful not just for this battle, but for their love for all believers or for the saints or for one another. They will know you are Christians by your your love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What, What commandment? That you would love one another. And so a sign of Spiritual life in believers is love believers have for believers. Oh, I love God. Oh, do you love other believers? No, I hate other believers. Then John says, then you don't love God. You love God. If you say, oh, I love God. I I, I haven't seen him, but I love him. It's like, well, he says, if you love him, that will flow into love for other believers, right? So we have that that responsibility and that, that fruit of love. It's not just love for God but love for others as well. And then when we see that in ourselves or in other people, we can give thanks for that. Thank you that I love more than I used to. Thank you that that person loves more than they used to love. Thank you for that transformation that you are working in them as you sanctify them. And closely related to sanctification, uh, the transformation that happens in us is in a work that flows out from us to other people. And Paul is, is thankful for uh, the ministry service of other believers. It really flows from sanctification. Right? As you're changed and you increase in love for God, love for other people, um, you, don't just, you don't just sit, but, but growth means outward service. And so as Paul's writing to gatherings of believers, he's, he's thankful for these things for himself and for others. So Paul's thankful for service, he starts off just with himself for that. First Timothy chapter one, verses 12 to 13, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. 
I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so Paul thinks about who he was when he was in that domain of darkness and how undeserving he was of God's grace, how deserving he was of God's wrath, how, how arrogant and insolent and persistent he was in sin. And then he thinks as to who Christ has now made him, an apostle, a planter of churches, a proclaimer of good news, aroma of life to life, to the glory of his conqueror and savior and deliverer. And he thinks that's, that's amazing. I'm thankful that one such as me could be used in a way such as this. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be saved, but, but having been saved, it's like I probably just should have been tucked in some corner. I certain, certainly, certainly shouldn't be an apostle. I certainly shouldn't be able to have the gift of being inspired by the Spirit to write these, these letters that would, is God's revelation to his people across time. Like, how could that be me? Wow, God, faithful and merciful, pointing me to your service. And so we have the reminders, we think about those type of things, that we too have been placed in opportunities for service. We're like, oh, no, 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 I, I haven't been appointed to service. Well, you, you have. I mean, you're, you're here and you're wherever else you are for a reason, <laughs> placed by God specifically to serve him as a minister of the gospel. Like, oh, but, so I'm supposed to get up and preach? No, they'll, they'll, not everybody's called to do that. But that does, that's not the only way of service. That's actually a small minority percentage of what services. Some have been given as pastors and teachers. Those pastors and teachers are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. The saints who are building up the body of Christ. And it wasn't just Paul that uh, had these opportunities for service. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16, he writes of others. He says this, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Uh, Titus is one of the ministry assistants of the apostles, similar to Timothy and others. And not only Paul was, was sanctified for service, but so was Titus. To where Titus wasn't just following orders when he traveled to the Corinthian church. But he actually, and this is the context of what the passage is, Paul's like, well, we need somebody to go to see Corinth. And Titus is like, I love the Corinthian believers. I, I'm, I'm eager to know, did they listen to this other letter? Have they responded? Have they repented? Have they walked in faith? Are they growing in the gospel? I love them. I long for them. I, I want to know. I'll go, Paul. And Paul recognizes, you know, that's not just Titus. That's not just who he is and what he's like. But God actually put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that others have. Because so we have care for other believers, as we need to grow in care for other believers. That too is a work of God. And when we see that, we see somebody caring for their, their training hour class or, or caring for, the, for parts of the nursery ministry or caring for shut-ins or caring for uh, fill-in-the-blank. When we see that, it's like, you know, that's not just them. That, that's God. Give thanks to God for the fact that he's using his people to minister to the needs of his people, near or far. And in Romans 16, this is a passage where he's, he's grateful to people, but he's grateful to God for people as well. He says, as he closes this, he uh, closes the book of Romans, he greets a number of people. He, he greets Prisca and Aquila. She's also called um, 
Priscilla, right? Do I have that blanked? I'm pretty sure Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So Paul was thankful for this faithful couple who had served alongside him in ministry, even at great personal cost. They stood by Paul and Paul was very unpopular when Paul was in a lot of danger. And they suffered in some way, they suffered some loss, at least the potential for loss, for associating with this minister of the gospel. And then they continued to show faithful hospitality to many believers in the city by opening up their home for a gathering to take place there. And Paul's like, look, look at this. Look at what, what Christ has done in sanctifying them and using them for service. I'm thankful for that. Thankful to them, thankful to God. And it's not just me. All of these Gentiles as well, thankful for this, I believe, Jewish couple that didn't allow the divisions to stop them from serving. They were promoting the gospel in that. Paul's also thankful for service as he continues to think about himself, that, that Christ made things possible for him. Sometimes out of great difficulty, sparing him from death. That's what 2 Corinthians 1 talks about. We do not want you to be aware, unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The believers in Corinth, they had prayed uh, that, that Paul had prayed for them and they prayed for Paul. They were aware of the needs and burdens of his ministry, even when he was not among them, and they prayed for him. They prayed for him when he was in danger, when he was going about the ministry of the gospel. And these prayers were answered by God. They had been effective in his life. We could say, you know, without those prayers, would he have been delivered from such a deadly peril when he went into Asia? But Paul says, well, your prayers were effective. So had you not been praying, I wouldn't be writing. But you prayed. God delivered. He's not done delivering us. Here I am, and we give thanks for that. Giving thanks for answered prayer. And when he reported, when, when it, just as his danger had been reported to them, so his deliverance was reported to them, and they gave thanks for that. Thankful for servants struggling, suffering, and being delivered from those things. And then it isn't just ministry assistants or, or famous couples or uh, apostles who serve. It's, it's ordinary, what a weird word, ordinary believers, uh, everyday believers, right? If that seems like a, a pejorative or negative term to you, you haven't really read your Bible very well. And the, the believers in Corinth were also a, an overflowing source of thanksgiving to God and other people. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and 9, they're talking about giving to needy saints in Jerusalem, a collection that Paul is taking. And he says this as he encourages, you know, that God loves a cheerful giver. That's, this is that passage. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which, the generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
for the ministry of this service, the, the giving of funds, that's what he's talking about with this service, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You, having been served by other believers, give thanks to God for him and for them, right? Do you recognize that when you serve, that that person likewise, as you have a heart of thankfulness to that person and to God, they have a heart of thankfulness to you and to God. And it's not wrong for them to give thanks to you because you were, you were involved in that. It's wrong for that to terminate with you, right? I'm just thankful to you. No, but it, they were thankful. Like, look, these believers that don't even know us necessarily, they've given generously to meet our needs. We're so thankful for that. Look what God has done, right? So it, it kind of reflects up to God again. And having been moved, in a sense, from you know, destitute poverty to having these, their needs met by believers halfway across the known world, hundreds more miles away, of a different culture, like, look at what God is doing. And they didn't just say it once and then moved on. This was the type of gift that caused them to repeat thanksgiving. I'm sure you received a gift. It's like, oh, thanks for that. Right? And then it might tuck into the closet or, or sit on the desk unused and, and kind of fade from memory and collect some dust. But I, I imagine you've also received the gifts that just every time that you look at it and you're reminded of the love and the need that it met and you repeat that thanksgiving. Right? This was the kind of gift that these Jews in Jerusalem had received from the Corinthians. And so it overflowed, love that word, not, not in moderation, not, not a reasonable amount overflowed in many thanksgivings to God. It says we don't want our, our lives and the focus of our church to just stay here, but we want, we, we want to have believers in Uganda that, that are thankful for us, and not for us, but for, to the glory of God, but through us. And we want believers in, in other churches that we're talking about, in church plants that happen. Right? So we, we're continually thankful for the brothers and sisters at Randolph Street that sent us that. Is it just them? Is it just like, oh, look what Jason did or look what Tim did? Well, of course not. Look what God did, but working through believers, some of which who have died. And we still repeat that thanksgiving to God. And so as Christ tarries, that same perspective for us, right? We're, we're involved in serving and so even as we pass off the scene, that thanksgiving continues to grow and flow, even to those who are, remain nameless, just, oh, thankful for this church, so that other people in the future, 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the road, thankful for the brothers and sisters, we don't know their names, at Risen King Church, who are passionate about the spread of the gospel, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God, because God uses his people, and we give thanks for that. And that thanks flows through us back up to God. Many thanksgivings to God. And in his introductory remarks to various churches or individuals, he spoke of love for other believers, shown, which is love shown toward other believers. And just have love for if it's not something that is shown. And so Philemon, he's thankful that Philemon's love had refreshed the heart of the saints. They're tangible ways of service. 
So it's not just like I met and we, we studied the Bible together. It's good, right? It's like I, I, I gave. Sometimes it could be I gave a meal, all right? Or I went and visited and encouraged. All of these different types of things. Philemon, just as a, as a believer, not, not a pastor, as a, a land property owner, a businessman, and his love had refreshed the heart of believers. So whatever situation you are in, having been saved, sanctified, things we can be thankful for, we're also looking for opportunities for service. As God uses us, we're thankful to him, and as God uses us, other people are thankful to him for us. And so far, we've seen Paul give thanks for things accomplished in the past. We've seen things that he's thankful for happening in the present, sanctification and service. And Paul is also thankful for that which will take place in the future, or at least that which will be fully experienced in the future. We, we can also give thanks for our certain hope. So it's alliterated if you don't, like if you just listen to it. I just tried and tried and tried find an S word that worked and it just didn't happen. But certain works, salvation, sanctification, service, certain hope. doesn't matter, but I tried. I already mentioned Romans 7.25, mentions 1 Corinthians 15.57, that the struggle that we have in this life is a victory, will end in victory, a certain victory because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 57, same type, sort of thing. It's like, you know, death, grave, all things that are future for us, a certain end that we haven't experienced yet, but we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And both of these are certainties for those who have trusted in Christ. But just because there's certainties doesn't mean that we have experienced it yet. You have not yet been resurrected physically. You have not yet been delivered from that struggle of the spirit against the flesh. You're in the midst of it. It doesn't mean victory won't happen. It just means it hasn't fully happened yet. You aren't fully experiencing those things. But we can be thankful for the certain end that will happen. even if they remain something that we are longing to experience. You can be thankful for something you don't have yet because you will have it. That's the point they're trying to make here. I want this deliverance. Long for this deliverance. It's so certain you can give thanks for it as if you had already received it, even when you have it. That's a, that's a certain hope. You don't give thanks for something you're just wishing for or would really like to see happen. Right? You can imagine, like, kids, we're, we're going out to eat tonight. Kids, we're not going out to eat tonight. Kids, we're going out to eat tonight. Oh, thanks, Dad. Well, what? We haven't eaten yet. Maybe all these things will happen a little bit. No, well, I'm, I'm so excited about it, and I, and I trust you, and I look forward to it. I can give thanks before it's also happened. And then you also say thanks after it's happened. We'll do that forever, right? <laughs> 10,000 years and then forevermore. Paul talks about the certain hope that he has. He's writing, when he writes to the Thessalonians, uh, well, either they weren't thankful or Paul was right, really, really feeling thankful because he, he, there's a number of really good Thanksgiving passages in Thessalonians. 
Uh, You could read through those this week. Paul gives thanks for three things that summarize a lot of what I'm saying so far when he writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, when he first opens up the letter. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God. Is this what we read today? Good choice. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And really, that's, that could have been a whole other point. <clears throat> like, how do we give thanksgiving to God? We give it in prayer. So tuck that somewhere. That's what thanksgiving to God looks like. That's what prayer is. Mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, Work that that begins with faith, it's defined by faith, and and we as believers, our salvation is that which falls into the sphere of faith. And then he's thankful for their labor of love. What is that? If not the sanctification, the transformation that, that reveals itself in service. A labor of love. And then the final one, that steadfastness, that endurance and perseverance, that you know, it, sometimes it looks like, feels like gritting your teeth to keep moving forward, to hold on to that which we have not had yet. Trusting, yeah, that's going to be, that is certain, going to have it. Mm, don't have that now. But the steadfastness of hope, it kind of summarizes aspects of these things. And reminiscent of Paul's writing to the Corinthians of that faith, hope, and love that abide. So he recognized that work of the Spirit in the Thessalonian believers and the steadfastness of their hope. And then that that substance of what their hope was, he writes about like to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have to give thanks for an inheritance that you've received. Do you know that you're rich? Like, um, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. Ah, but you are. Even though you have not yet experienced it yet, you have an inheritance that Paul writes about other places that equals every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in another place to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, he says, actually, in Christ, all things are ours. Christ who rules over all will have an inheritance of the nations and the universe. All things are his. And we who are united to him share in that. Everything is yours. So you don't have to struggle to have now. Right? That's how we can just kind of let those things, just let them go. Right? Like, oh, but I'm missing out. Yeah, but you won't ultimately miss out, right? So then if we go back to that meal story, it's like, oh, thanks, Dad, we're going to go out to eat. But real quick, I'm just going to shove peanut butter crackers in my mouth because I'm really hungry. It's like, you can do without now because of what's coming is a whole lot better. Do you see how that having that certain hope, that which we're thankful for can, can change what we need and what we want right now? You know, all of these different things that he's talked about, you know, we could also say, you know, he's thankful for what I said, salvation, for sanctification, for service, and for certain hope. You know, we could also throw on, we can be thankful for stuff. 
like the things that we have, but as you survey what Paul is thankful for, and sometimes he has stuff and sometimes he doesn't have stuff. Sometimes he was sick and sometimes he was healthy. But Paul wasn't, wasn't limited by physical things that he was thankful for. He abounded in thanksgiving for spiritual realities. That, that's the point that I want to make. You know, it's not just, well, I, I, I got the promotion that I wanted. Or, or I did get the present. Or he did answer my prayer for, for healing. Like all these different things did happen. Things are going well, therefore I'm thankful. Well, is it well with your soul? then you too can abound in thanksgiving. But then we can also give thanks for the food that we've received. We're certainly called to do that. For the homes that we have, for the family and friends the Lord's given to us. Those things that we've been given as stewardship that we, we have and we can be thankful for, even though we, they might be taken from us. But I really, I don't want you to be limited. Things to be thankful for, or for health and stuff. Give thanks for health and stuff but it needs to be kind of after the spiritual realities that we're thankful for. But all things are ours. The certainty of hope, new heaven and new earth, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place is our inheritance that we have as part of Christ's kingdom. And why do we thank God for these things? We're thankful to God and we're thankful for these spiritual realities and physical realities. And why? Are we thankful to God for all of them? And two passages, I think, cover this very easily. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, they were, the Corinthians were, were given to boasting. And he says, well, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If instead of being grateful to God and to others, you're just like, hey, look at Look at me. It's been a good year, and, and I'm the one that should be thanked for that. Right? Thanksgiving should be about my family gathering around and praising me. And Paul's just kind of like, really? So you created all these things. You, you brought them into being. Even the spiritual gifts and the service that you have. Oh, look at the good job I'm doing in my service. And missing the fact, no, that's actually something to give thanks to God for. Right? It's just that little lesson. It's like, oh, you, you won't be generous didn't I give you that, right? So the Lord just sort of, so you did that yourself, huh? Right, which is, which that type of that self-centeredness would obviously be the, the, the opposite of gratitude. Or gratitude is, is recognizing that which co- has come to us and we respond to that, not that which we've just created in and of ourselves. And so if you have that attitude of that self-centeredness and me, 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 right? And look at what I've done, that type of arrogance, like arrogance and gratitude can't really work side by side. What, have you, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you didn't catch the answer to that, rhetorical questions, like you don't have anything that you haven't received. If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So everything that we have, everything that you have has come to you from the hand of the God who's over all things. If you're sick, it's from the Lord. You can give thanks for that because of what God is using because there's a certain hope that will be the end of that. If you're healthy, you give thanks to God for that. Right? Not a hair fell from your head. It's not like you're the one who keeps yourself healthy by good diet and exercise. Right? You can't keep your heart beating, add a day to your life, make yourself an inch taller or shorter. You have nothing to claim credit for in and of yourself. Has the Lord used you in the lives of other people? Give thanks to him for that. 
right? Is there, is there a, a, a minimum amount, a minimal amount of fruit that's happening, but yet you've been called to do something faithful? You can give thanks for that. Because of what God is doing in the future, kind of like what we talked about with Haggai, this doesn't look like much, but what God's doing in the future is going to be huge. What do you have that you haven't received from a God who's over all things? You, you really going to claim credit for it? Don't. And everything, all things, every circumstance, give thanks. And then Paul's doxology certainly points to this in Romans eleven thirty six. Why do we give thanks to God for all these things? Well, because from him and through him and, and really and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He had to have dropped his quill stylus or had Tertius drop it. It's like, drop that pen for a second. That was a good one. No, not in a vain way. And he's like, well, I'll pick it back up. I got to write chapter We got to write chapter 12 and onward. All things are in existence physically and spiritually because of God. It has come into your life. Everything that has come into your life, good and bad, has come through God. And all of those things are to be pointed back to God. From him, through him, to him are all things so that, and this is why we give thanks for those things, because then God is glorified in all of those things. So Thanksgiving is going to be biblical. It's going to gather everything together and point it back to God. Point it to God so that he would receive the glory for those things. We have much to be thankful for then, don't we? And if we wonder, uh, I'm having a hard time kind of coming up with my list. It's like, God, thank you for saving me, for saving those around me that I care for so dearly. And, and then those who are not saved, we ask for that, right? Thanksgiving can remind us of things that we want to pray for. Those things go hand in hand. Thank you for sanctifying me. Thank you for your work and other people, even though that work's not done. Thank you for opportunities of service that you've given to me. Thank you for the opportunities of service that have come to me from other people. Thank you for the certain hope that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that this, as good as it is or as bad as it is, this is not the end for which we can give thanks. Right? Lord, thank you. Because <laughs> from you and through you and to you are all things. Please do make us thankful people that in everything, as is your will for us, in everything we would give thanks. Um, Work that gratitude into our hearts. And, and again, like I said, not just this season, not just for a holiday, uh, but for all of our lives. That you would be glorified in it, we pray. Amen. I'm going to transition now to the Lord's table as we are thankful. We are thankful to God for Christ. Christ, who was the perfect sacrificial lamb, offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, we, we need... We should be able to, and we will for eternity, give thanks for, for what this is pointing us to uh, endlessly. Now, we're, we're only limited in our ability to give thanks for what the table represents uh, because of our distractibility, because uh, we don't recognize our sinfulness or because we, we, we fail to grasp the significance of what Christ did on the cross. And so that's why we come back to the table so regularly, because we want to be reminded and we want to give thanks we want to worship in this. And so if you are a follower of Christ, saved, sanctified, called to service with a certain hope, then this, the table's for you. Uh, but if you don't have anything to give thanks for in salvation, then this is, this is not for you. 
because uh, it's something that we call believers to, those who have turned from sin, those who have trusted in Christ, come to take bread, represents his broken body, and the cup representing his shed blood, say, look, taste, see what Christ has done for me, for us. We do that together, and we do it in remembrance of him, and, and a longing for the certain hope of the resurrection and the feast uh, that will come for that. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, we just say, stay in your seats, um, consider the texts, think through those things, think about um, that from God and through God and to God are all things in your life. You, that longing you have to like, you know, this didn't just come from me, is pointing you to God. Think on those things and consider his son, Jesus Christ, and trust in him for, for salvation. Um, Fred will come to serve those elements, to be dismissed by row to come forward, do so prayerfully and, and gratefully, right? thankfully, <laughs> uh, to come forward. May this be a time where we are grateful to, to Christ Jesus. Uh,